Our scripture reading this morning comes from Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. If you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like one, uh, just put up your hand and somebody from our Frontlines team will hook you up. And if you don't have one at home, you can consider that our gift to you and uh, take it with you. From Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, I didn't anticipate that, that, that transition. Um, I got to tell you something. I feel completely, in many ways, uh, ill-equipped uh, over these next four weeks to talk about justice. And the reason that I say that is because of my library, and I have a fairly extensive library at my house of books and resources, probably uh, the genre that is the smallest in my personal library is justice. And, and I just want to say, and I need to repent of that to God. And when we were singing the song, uh, Lord, wake us from our sleep, uh, Spirit of living God, come and fall afresh, wake us from our sleep. The last couple of weeks as I've begun to explore the topic of justice has been that for me, of, of God waking me up from the sleep of, of not caring very much, to be honest, about issues of justice in our world. I mean, we all like to say that we are just people, that we care about justice, but the actual aspects of what we'll talk about today, I think you'll begin to see, maybe even for yourself, that you need to be woken up as well. And so when I say that I feel ill-equipped, that's, that's, many of, that's much of what that comes from. Also, I want to say is that there have been a couple of books that have been extremely helpful to me so far on this topic, and so many of the ideas that I'm going to be talking about over the next few weeks, I want to give credit to where credit is due, and the one is Generous Justice by Tim Keller, a fantastic sort of biblical theology of justice, and then the other one is When Helping Hurts, which is a very practical step-by-step approach to how we can actually care about things and the needs of justice in our world and how to actually engage them in a wise way, and uh, wise way both for ourselves and for those that we are serving. With all of that said, why don't we take a moment uh, to quiet ourselves, identify where we're at, how we're feeling. I'd encourage you to invite Jesus into that place, and then we'll keep going. Heavenly Father, I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives as it is in heaven. And as you've been doing the work on my heart, I've come to realize that that work and that will and that desire is for justice to be done in this world because you are a God of justice. And so we do pray that your heart would change ours and that we would become a people that cares deeply about the things that you do and who you are. 
In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start by showing you a picture, and this will reveal in some ways the demographic of who we have in the room. How many of you, this is familiar to you? You can do a show of hands. Likely, the majority of those that are raising your hands right now, you're millennials. And the reason that you're millennials is because back in uh, 2012, there was a campaign put on by an organization called Invisible Children. And Invisible Children's emphasis and goal was to bring awareness to child soldiers. In particular, a guy by the name of Joseph Coney, who was uh, one of the leaders of the Lord's Resistance Army in Africa. And they were trying to bring awareness to this particular individual. And so uh, there was a, there were the organization made a video. And it's a video that, that had 43 million views after two days of being released. Now, the fascinating thing about this video was a couple of different things, but one of the fascinating things about the video was that typically viral videos or videos that go viral are usually under two minutes long. And so the fact that this was viewed by 43 million people in two days was fascinating based on the video's length. But then secondly, it was about a topic that very few people actually knew a lot about. And so it fascinated people. And so what you saw at that time when I was on social media, what I saw is people and after people sharing this video for all of their friends to see. Well, shortly after this video sort of went viral, uh, this conversation about media activism started to also pick up. And media activism had been something that people had talked about before, but media activism started to also become something that, that others talked about. And what media activism is, is essentially somebody saying, I am being just, or I am living a just life by sharing or being active for justice through my social media. Uh, other people began to actually call it slacktivism. Because in actuality, are you actually caring for matters of justice simply by sharing things over your media uh, profiles? Uh, actually, Malcolm Gladwell in 2010 in The New Yorker wrote an article. And what he was doing was comparing Facebook activism to that of activism uh, back in uh, the civil rights movement. And so he, he identified a couple of characteristics of Facebook activism or slacktivism, as other people called it. He writes this, Fake, Facebook activism succeeds not by motivating people to make a real sacrifice, but by motivating them to do the things that people do when they are not motivated enough to make a real sacrifice. It is simply a form of organizing which favors the weak tie connections that give us access to information over the strong tie connections that help us persevere in the face of danger. So see what he identifies there? A couple of different characteristics of this type of activism. Sacrifice and connection. Now, I would suggest that when, as I said, many of us likely walked into this room today and you want to say of yourself that you are a just person or that you care about justice. But when it comes to actually doing justice or being a just person, I would say that many of us would think of, well, activism, I can do that through my social media profile. And here's what I would say. That's not an entirely robust view of justice. And I would also suggest, as we're going to go through today and in the weeks to come, that we need to gain a new, robust view of what it means to do justice and to be just in our world. And I'm going to suggest that the scriptures actually provide for us an extremely robust view of justice. 
Now, immediately off the top, some of you are going to be skeptics to that. And some of you might be skeptics because you're an atheist. And you might say, well, you know what? Religion just poisons everything. I was actually watching a video this week about justice things, and this person said, you know, the reason that many of the countries in the world uh, where poverty, particular material poverty, is so high, it's because they're primarily religious countries. That religion poisons everything. Now, they talked about a number of other factors, but they said one of the key factors is because, well, these folks from material object poverty, they think about the afterlife, and so not many people care, to, care very much about the life that is here. So you might be a skeptic and say, no, we can't go to the scriptures because you come from that perspective. You might be a person and you have been part of a church or been part of uh, God's movement that has been known as the church for some time. But you're just as skeptic because you're skeptical of what happened in the social gospel movement, which is people abandoning uh, doctrine or right belief in order to go and do justice. And you say, if I'm going to engage in justice in the world, I've got to abandon all like right doctrine and belief in Christ. So that might be another group of us. There's also going to be those in this room, maybe, that you're more of a doctrine avoider, where you say, you know, we just got to throw the, you know, get rid of the scriptures for a second. Just go out and would you please just do something. Right? And what I believe that the scriptures actually do provide is a robust view that challenges each of these perspectives. Because what I'm going to suggest to us is that our theology actually drives us to a life of doing justice. And that the scriptures provide for us, and it answers for us a few questions. It answers the question of what is justice? What is it actually? Secondly, what is God's vision for it? And then thirdly, how are we to be just? Like what is expected and required of us? And so earlier, uh, Michael read for us Micah 6 verse 8. He read 6 to 8, but I want to focus specifically this morning on Micah 6 verse 8. And this is what was said, and it will be on the screen for you as well. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, as Michael read, the context of this one verse, which is quite a common verse, it's generally a well-known verse amongst justice conversation and the scriptures, is what comes before. And the context that comes before is Mike is asking the question, what does God require of us? And he lists off a few things. And both of those things, if you were to summarize them and say, what are they about? It's about a vertical worship. Right? It's, it's about our worship specifically of praising God. It could be you think about you know, participating in a church gathering, being part of a missional community, but you're focusing primarily on vertical worship. And Mike asks the question, well, what does God require of us? And he goes on to say here, the Lord has told you what he requires of you, to, to be just, to do justice, to not just be caught up in vertical worship, but to actually also do horizontal worship with the people around you. Now, we got to ask the question then, well, if we're going to live lives that are required to do justice, what is justice? And there's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament for justice, and it's this word. It's mishpat. Can everyone say mishpat? It's the Hebrew word justice. And what it means is on the screen as well. It's giving people their due, whether that be punishment, protection, or care. It's giving people their due, whether that means protection, care, but also punishment. So there's two sides of justice. Right? There's what we could know, some would say, is the more negative side of justice, which is that there is punishment. But then on the other side, there's care and protection. Now, the Hebrew word mishpat appears in the Old Testament more than 200 times. Here are some examples. Exodus 23, verse 6. You shall not pervert the justice 
Do to your needy brother in his dispute. Isaiah 1 verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Amos 5 verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Once again, it's to treat people equitably. Acquitting or punishing people on the merits of the case, regardless of race or social status. It's giving people their rights. Which raises another question. Is that where does somebody actually get their due from? If we're to give people their due and if we're to give people their rights, where does their due actually come from? And from the Christian perspective, someone's due comes from the fact that they are made in the image of God. We find this right at the beginning of the scriptures, Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Therefore, we give people their due because they bear the image of God. So we care deeply for them. This really matters, friends. And if you're approaching the topic of justice and you don't have a robust view of why you would in fact be just towards another person, I challenge you on this point. Why would you be just? Because someone is given their due because they're made in the image of God. John Ortberg in his fantastic book, Who Is This Man? writes this. The belief that all people are made in God's image has woven its way into our world in a matter we often do not see. The United States Declaration of Independence begins, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they, they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He quotes a philosopher by the name of Mark Nelson who writes this, If you ask what is Jesus' influence on medicine and compassion, I would suggest that wherever you have an institution of self-giving for the lonely and for the practical welfare of the lonely, schools, hospitals, hospices, hospices, orphanages for those who will never be able to repay, this probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. Why? Because people are given their due because they are made in the image of God. In societies where uh, religions like Hinduism is quite popular, there is a, a value of karma. You understand karma, right? The, like the Toronto Raptors were talking about karma this past Thursday when it came to the San Antonio Spurs. But the idea of karma is that you are given your due based upon the way that you lived in a past life. And so oftentimes poverty exists in extreme measures in cultures where karma is part of the philosophy of life. Because if you try to limit somebody's suffering or the poverty that they live in, you're actually working against karma. Do you understand that? So the, ob the aspect or the philosophy of we are all made in the image of God so everybody gets equal and just and fair treatment must come from a wider philosophy of why would you do that for somebody? I mean, if we're all just, if it's the survival of the fittest, right? The strong survive, the weak should be crushed. That's not from an approach of that we are all made in the divine image, right? And you would have no reason to actually do justice in this life. 
Now, the scriptures will talk about who are to be the primary recipients of mishpat. So once again, we are all made in the divine image of God, but the scriptures give particular attention to four types of recipients who we are to give specific particular attention to. It's the orphan, the father, the fatherless, or the motherless. It's the widow, single parents, or the elderly, the foreigner, the refugee, or the poor, the homeless, those without sufficient financial means. Now you might say, well, why particular attention? Like, isn't God playing favorites here? And why particular attention is because there's an unequal distribution of injustice. There's an unequal distribution of injustice. In other words, if you're caught in a spider's web, it's going to be extremely hard to get out. And if you start life in a weak and vulnerable place, it's going to be extremely hard to get out of it. So God pays particular attention. Robert Chambers, in his book, Rural Development, writes this, Those who are material poor are trapped by multiple interconnected factors, insufficient assets, vulnerability, powerlessness, isolation, and physical weakness that ensnare them like bugs, as he says, caught in a spider's web. If you're thinking about, many of you know I'm fairly passionate about the clothing industry. And Bangladesh, who has become one of the main producers of our clothing, keeps their minimum wage low so that they can compete against places like China. So that they can get the business of all of the fast fashion companies that many of us shop at. So when you're trying to address the materially poor of Bangladesh and trying to get a living wage for them, you're going against a system of all of these groups and companies that are going to Bangladesh or going to shop out, who's going to make our clothing? Let's go to Bangladesh because they're keeping their minimum wage low to be, compete with China. Do you see the unequal distribution of injustice? It's crazy. Well, then the question is, well, why would God, why would God have us do justice? And what is his vision for it? You got to hear this about God, okay? This is so critically important is justice is part of God's character. It's one of his attributes. It's who he is. It's one of his attributes. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 to 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who is not partial, meaning he doesn't play favorites, and he takes no bribe. He executes justice, mishpat, For the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Notice after how it lists that God is great and all these things, the first thing that he then goes to, he executes justice. As Keller says, this is, why does God care about this? He wants you to see that it's actually part of his calling card. That there there is to be a calling card about God. The Christian God, like, you'd see that he cares and wants to see justice done because he is a just God. Psalm 146, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner, the refugee. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. He gives people their due, whether that be punishment or protection and care. Well, you might say, well, what, is, okay, well, what does that have to do with us? Go God. 
But what does that have to do with us? And here's the answer. As those made in God's image, we do justice so that we show the world what our God is like. This ought to be the church's calling card too. Hear these verses, Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Bring about justice and righteousness. Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, or the widow. Now hear the wording there. It's not like, well, here's a good suggestion. It's like, do this. So for us, as was said earlier in Micah, it's not about sacrifice, it's obedience. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So what is he, what, what's going on here? Well, speak up and defend those who can't speak for themselves. Speak up and judge fairly without bias. Defend the due of the poor and those who have less. And according to the scriptures, the justness of a society is based on how they treat these four groups of people. Tim Keller writes, If believers in God don't honor the cries and the claims of the poor, we don't honor him. Whatever we profess, because we hide his beauty from the eyes of the world. Maybe this may be overlooked in the Old Testament, but the children of Israel were sent into exile. Do you know one of the primary reasons that they were in exile is because they failed to care for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner. Steve Corbin, Brian Fickert, and When Helping Hurts. In the New Testament, God's people, the church, are more than just a sneak preview of King Jesus. The church is the body, bride, and very fullness of Jesus Christ. When people look at the church, they should see the very embodiment of Jesus. When people look at the church, they should see the one who declared in word and deed to the leper, the lame, and the poor that his kingdom is bringing healing to every speck of the universe. Wow. Now, there's more in the scriptures than just mishpat. There's another word, and it's the Hebrew word zedekah. Can everyone say zedekah? And this is the Hebrew word for being just, or being righteous, or righteousness. It is a life of right relationships, treating others as fellow image bearers of God. To remind us, remember I read off Amos 5 verse 24. Listen to it in a new light. But let justice give someone their due, rather punishment, protection, or care, roll down like waters, and righteousness being just, living in right relationship like a never-flowing stream. So here's the distinction. If you think of Mishpat as confronting wrongdoing, Zedekah is taking the time to meet the needs of those who are being wronged. It's understood as rectifying justice opposed to primary justice, which is justice itself, giving to the poor and needy. And these two words are paired together more than three dozen times. Mishpat and Zedekah. So you might say, well, give us some examples. And these two words together, actually, if you like the idea of social justice, that's what these two words are bringing about the concept of. Social, living in right relationship, justice, giving someone their due, whether that be punishment or protection. So you might ask the question, well, how are we to do justice? Both Mishpat and Zedekah. Let's think about housing, okay? Housing. So Mishpat would be lobbying and electing governments that desire to provide affordable housing in your city. 
Who's got the best plan for affordable housing? Zedekiah could be offering up your couch for a season. Right? Like, it's not necessarily, it's not just going and lobbying. So here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to put like these skyrocket offers to you. I want you to see there's also little things that you can do to be a person of justice. You can offer up your couch for a season. You can help someone find an apartment to rent. You can actually help somebody move. You know, put things into your vehicle. Pay for the gas to do it. Use your body. Go and help them do it. It could be providing a place for someone to live with you. And the great huge goal or dream is building, renovating, and providing an affordable housing building. Secondly, what about the orphan? Mishpat. It might be volunteering with a local neighborhood group who provides affordable programs. Who says, we are not going to prevent, create programs that prevent any, any background or socioeconomic status from keeping kids away from being involved in affordable programs. Zedekah we then, would then be encouraging your kids to invite their friends over. In particular, maybe their friends that need to be at your house the most. It could be mentoring a student. It could be big brothers or big sisters. It could be respite volunteering with family and children's services. It could then be fostering. And then it could, in fact, be adoption. How about food security? Mishpat. You could grow your own garden and give away the extras. Invest time in a civic plan for food services to the vulnerable in our city. Zedekah could be buy someone a grocery gift card, take someone grocery shopping, volunteer in a healthy snack program, invite people over for dinner, <laughs> practice gospel hospitality, as Spencer talked about last week. How about consumerism? Mishpat, don't support companies who have low standards for their workers and creators. Spend less of your money so you can give more of it away. Educate yourself about the global and your own local economy. Zedekah, shop and support local artisans. Make gifts at Christmas time. You hear it before, reduce, reuse, recycle. Bring a reusable cup to reunion. Andrea bought me one at Christmas so that I would start doing that. Or how about the foreigner, the immigrant? Mishpat, support organizations and governments who have a plan for refugees. Educate yourself about the issues facing people groups in other parts of the world. Make space for ethnic diversity in your home. Teach your kids about diverse cultures. Zedekah, care about people who don't look like you. Support organizations helping immigrants. Sponsor a refugee family or give what you don't need or what you do to someone who has a greater one. Well, you might say, well, what's the goal of all this? Here's the goal. Everyone living in right relationship. Heaven on earth. In Guelph as it is in heaven. Wouldn't that be amazing? Now, you might say, well, that's great. But you know what? That's just for the social justice types. Right? Some of us are doing that. I was like, you know what? I know someone. They're really good at that. I'm just going to keep letting them do it all. Now, let me be honest with you, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus, sure. Have at it. Right? But you're not going to see a lot, of, a lot of what we're talking about here actually done to make a real lasting impact and change. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is about obedience. Which brings us to question three. Right? I said we're going to answer the question of you know, 
what is justice? What's God's vision for it? Third one is how are we actually to be just? And here's the robust view of how followers of Jesus are to be just. Followers of Jesus live justly by giving people their due, regardless of background, status, or race, through protection, punishment, or care, in particular the vulnerable, seeking to live in right relationship with others through fairness, generosity, and equity. I don't know if that's 140 characters or whatnot, but this would be a beautifully robust view that's presented to us in the scriptures of what this actually means and looks like. And once again, why? Because as individuals made in the image of God, we are to reflect to the world what God is like and what he cares about. And he cares about the vulnerable and the weak. Psalm 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness, Zedekah, and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Jeremiah 9, verse 24, Let him who boasts boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things that I delight, declares the Lord. So, what is living justly going to mean? You know, in contrast, if we were to look back at media activism or slacktivism. Right, remember Gladwell said two things. He talked about sacrifice and he talked about commitment. Here's what it's going to mean, okay? It's going to mean real sacrifice. It's going to mean real sacrifice. Now, we oftentimes will use the, the trifecta of the, the things that start with T, right? Time, treasure, talents. Time, treasure, talents. It's going to demand real sacrifice in the area of time. Here's what I want to challenge you with, because I was challenged with this idea a few years ago. Because sometimes when we think about justice, we also think of, I'll just write a check. Here's the thing, okay? Or I'll give something away that I don't need anymore. Uh, I challenge you to watch, actually, the documentary True Cost about the impact of the fashion industry and where a lot of the clothing that you don't need anymore actually goes. But before you watch that, I'd encourage you with this thought and challenge you with it, is that I grew incredibly comfortable to giving away the things that I didn't need or giving money away to a person, but I wasn't actually willing to hang out with them myself. How often are we willing to give money to somebody who needs it but not actually become their friend? So time. Treasures. What are the things that you value using your current abilities, or sorry, your treasures? Could be your money, could be your home, it could be your purchases, choosing where you live, impacted by doing justice. How about your talents? Friends, this is, this is very easy in that you can use your current abilities and fears of influence for the common good. Like, think about the things that you're good at. How could you use that to give people their due, whether that be punishment, protection, or care in the world? Living in right relationship, helping a neighbor out with something, because you're strong at that particular thing. But then secondly, it's going to mean strong connections, meaningful relationships, deep commitments. Because to truly counter the deep injustices in the world, we need to have deep commitments with other people. Like if injustice is deep, and the distribution of it is unequal, it's going to require deep commitments, deep, meaningful relationships over the long haul, 
Not, you know what, this series is great, so you know, for the next four weeks, I'm going to take justice seriously. But saying, for the rest of my life, I want to be known as a person. What does the Lord require of me but to do justice? Like, that's going to be my calling card in life. Now, there's a problem with all of this. Here's the problem. Okay, because some of you are like, here's a problem? Who could ever do this all perfectly? Like, has that struck you already? Like, wow, this is, and this is really overwhelming. Or maybe you're somebody that you are, you would say you're like a really just person. And so you're angry at injustice. And you, you're, you're, you've actually become fairly self-righteous. Because you look down on people who, who don't live justly. So what's the good news for all these types and groups of people? Once again, as we always talk about the good news of the gospel. And what is the gospel as it relates to justice? It's this. That God executes justice on himself to forgive our injustice and give us what we do not deserve. In other words, hear this. God takes what we are due and gives us what he is due. Now, number one, what's, what's the first reality of that statement? Because God is just, justice had to be paid and punishment must be given. Okay, and this is really key for a few different things. We can celebrate and worship a God of justice. But here's how this changes the news for those that are doctrine avoiders who would like to say, well, you know, God, you know, just do away with any form of judgment. It says, no, God is just. And you are unjust or unjust. And so justice had to be paid. Or how about for the slacktivists? Well, true justice is costly. It means true sacrifice and deep commitment as Christ exemplified to us. Right? But then the second part is God takes the punishment on himself and give us, gives us what we could not gain for ourselves. And this actually completely changes our approach of doing justice in the world. It changes the approach of the legalism or the pharisaical attitudes of both the religious and the atheist social activists. Because both of these groups believe in their own obedience. It's like, I am the best, I am the just person, and you're so unjust. And we see this, right? You see this on the news. From both sides, right? Who are angry, who are yelling at each other. If you are motivated by a gospel approach, you say, God is just, so I want to fight for the needs of justice in this world, but I approach the people around me as I do it with love, with grace, with forgiveness, with humility. Because what was that other part of Micah, one, or Micah 6 verse 8? It says, loving kindness and walking humbly with God. You walk humbly with God when you realize that you should have had justice executed upon yourself. But who was it executed upon? Jesus. For who? For you. And then also for those who might be justice skeptics, hear this, that the message of the gospel propels us to a life of doing justice. Because of God's great gift in Christ, we are covered. Do you see how robust that is? It's full that all the motivations of our hearts are truly exposed as we look at the gospel as it relates to justice. So 
So how does the reality and the centrality of the gospel impact day-to-day living of doing justice? Is that as we grasp and more fully experience God's grace, you and I will share his heart and concern for justice in the world and move towards mishpat, justice, and zedekah, being just. Because his grace first motivates us to worship God. Psalm 46, 146, describing who God is, starts with a worship psalm. It's saying, I praise you, God, for this. As I heard in one of uh, Keller's messages on this, he says, like, do you worship the fact that God is a God of justice? You know, as we're singing, are you, are you simply thinking about the loving aspect of God, which also means justice is, means punishment. Like, but are you celebrating the fact that he is just, that he is going to execute justice over this world and is currently, that Christ is the sustainer of all things. So even the things in the world that don't appear to be very just to us, he is upholding right now. And has a purpose and plan for all of it. Do you trust that God has a purpose and plan as it relates to justice in our world? Because it's part of his character. It's who he is. It's what he does. So we can worship him. We can go to sleep at night saying, God, please come back. Execute justice. Help me to do justice. But may it start with being motivated by you, a God of justice. And then move to actually doing justice and caring for those in our world so that we could show the world what the kingdom of God is like, and so that we can pray in Guelph as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's uh, stop there for today. We've got three more weeks. We've got a conference at the end of the month. But here's, here's my prayer for us, okay? Once again, that this wouldn't be a focus that takes this month of January. I mean, what a great New Year's resolution, right? Some of us are resolution people. But if this is only a New Year's resolution that it lasts till like February the 7th, pfft, waste of time. My prayer is that this would actually be a hinge moment for our church. That God would be breaking our hearts, that he'd be changing our hearts, so that as we move forward, we would actually be a church that is known, that is the calling card of our church, is that we do justice and that we live out right relationship with people. Now, some people, when they think about that, as we'll get into future weeks, just think relief. And as I'm reading, there's three ways that you can actually alleviate material poverty and other things. There's relief, there's rehabilitation, and then there's development. And all three need to be done. And so would you pray with us and for the elders and for those that are part of our justice team that we would be thinking wisely and critically about how we as Church of the City can engage deeply in the areas of justice both here in this city, in our nation of Canada, and across the world. Because we truly want to be a people that obeys God. This is about obedience. And so would you stand, let's pray. If you want to come to the front, you know, coming to the front is also its opportunity for confession and saying, God, I confess that I have not been a person about justice. And so we'd ask you, you can come to the front, have somebody pray for you. You can come and kneel here. But let's worship our God of justice and respond in thankfulness that God executed justice upon himself so that he can give us grace and forgiveness. Let's pray. And so God, I, I pray right now, this has been a lot as a start But God, I pray that this robust vision of what you give us in the scriptures of what justice is, your vision for it, and then how we are to live justly 
would truly grip hold in our hearts and in our lives and that we would move forward as a people that are changed because of your heart. We thank you for the great good news of the gospel and I pray that it would be great good news to each of us today. In your son's name we pray, amen.